Thank you for joining us. Remember, you can watch our services live and view our archive at StevensCreekChurch.com, the Stevens Creek app, or on our Roku channel. And if our ministries have touched your life, we'd love to hear about it. Send us an email to mystory at StevensCreekChurch.com. We hope today's message encourages and inspires you. Enjoy the message. Good afternoon and welcome to Stevens Creek Church once again. I know Pastor Ryan has already asked you, but are you feeling good today? That's good to hear. That's good to know. It's great to be at church with you on a Sunday. Such a great day today. As he mentioned, we are going to be continuing in our series, Generational Faith, uh, where we've been talking about over the last several weeks about how you can leave a legacy of faith for others to follow and for generations who come behind you to build their lives upon And the theme for this series has simply been that when you put God first in your life and in your family, you will leave a legacy on earth and in eternity. And the verse that we've anchored all of this to over the last several weeks is found in the book of Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, where where it says that, and without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. And today, as we're wrapping up this series on generational faith, what I'd like to do is is really just follow up on Pastor Dave's message from last week, where an incredible message of how we can build a legacy of faith within our marriage. And and continuing along that thought, I want to just talk about how we can establish and build a legacy of faith within our families and within our children. Now, if you're here today and you don't have kids, you are not parents, that's okay, because every single principle that we're going to talk about today is something that you can take home with you and apply to your life and your faith as well. So, so be easy there. But like parents, like lean in so we can learn how to do this thing called parenting in a little bit of a better way. Uh, and now, to be clear, this is not coming from the perspective that I've got it all figured out when it comes to parenting my kids and raising children, because the Lord and my kids know that that is not the case. Uh, If anything, this is coming from all of the mistakes that I've made and all the things that I've learned how not to do uh, when it comes to raising our kids, Uh, because raising kids is difficult. It's not easy at all. I mean, my wife and I, we have two teenage boys and a nine-year-old daughter, so we are very much in the middle of parenting. We make mistakes every day, and we learn from those mistakes just in an effort to try to get it right the next time. I mean, mean, and whenever we were first becoming parents, uh, nobody prepared us for some of the things that we would face as parents. Nobody prepared me for the conversations that I would have to have with my kids at a really young age. I mean, nobody prepared me for this. I remember whenever my 15-year-old son, Silas, I remember whenever he was in the first grade and my sister-in-law, Haley, picked him up from school one day and he was frustrated, he was aggravated, had not had a good day at school and Haley asked him, are you okay? How was your day? And really the big point of frustration for Silas was math. And I said, same, same kid. And then finally, like Haley, and he was just like, first grade math is hard. First grade math is so difficult. I don't understand it. And Haley was trying to encourage him, trying to make him feel better. It's okay. You're going to figure it out. And finally, after a few minutes, he just kind of shrugged his shoulders and kind of gave up and was like, I'm not worried. The girl beside me is really smart. And sometimes I little bit look on her paper. And so, and I, and I mean, I laughed about it then. I laugh now because it's funny. But, but after I got done laughing, I had to go sit down with my six-year-old son and have a conversation with him about integrity and character and honesty and not a little bit looking on the smart girl's paper beside you. I mean, nobody prepared me for that conversation with a six-year-old. I thought six-year-old conversations were going to be baseball and monster trucks, and it was easy. But here I am having conversations about integrity and honesty and character. And I mean, what in the world? Nobody prepared me for this. 
And then, and then as parents, you guys know that as they've gotten older, the conversations that I have to have with my kids, they're more and more difficult. And that's because the things that they face and the things that they encounter are more and more difficult. They're more and more complex. And, and I honestly believe that with everything that our kids are facing in today's culture, I believe it's harder to parent now than it's ever been. And, and for that matter, I think it's harder to be a child. I think it's harder to grow up in today's culture than it's ever been. It's harder to be a child. It's harder to be a teenager. It's harder to be a college student now today in today's culture than it's ever been. And and we certainly don't have it figured out. We make mistakes every single day. We try to learn from them so that we can parent in the best way possible. But, but in, in it all, while we don't have it figured out, one thing that we do have figured out is we ultimately know what we want for our kids. We ultimately know what we want for our kids. And, and, and ultimately what we hope to do, we hope and we pray that we raise children to, to love God and to live a Christ-centered life and to faithfully serve him and his church in every way possible in every aspect of their lives. And, and I think for every parent here, you would probably say that that's, that's what your hope and that's what your prayer for your children is as well. And if you're not a parent, you would probably say that, well, that's what, that's what I want for my life. That's what, I, that's what I hope for my life. And so to help us understand how we do this and how we work to establish faith and build a legacy of faith within our families and how we, and how we can understand what's expected of us as God's people, I wanna invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 6. Deuteronomy is the fifth book of the New Testament. Going to be in chapter 6, reading verses 4 through 9. And we're looking at the words of Moses as Moses is, is addressing, addressing the new generation in Israel, the next generation of Israel, as they're preparing to enter into the promised land. And he's urging them not to make the same mistakes as their parents. Don't make the same mistakes as the previous generation because he's ultimately wanting them to experience the full blessing of the, of the promised land and everything that God has for them. But in order for them to experience the full blessing of what God has for them, God's people, the Israelites, they have to learn to listen to God and to respond to God and to love him fully above everything else. And so we begin reading in, in verse 4 of Deuteronomy chapter 6. These are the words of Moses, and this is what Moses says. He says, Hear, O Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. And tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. I want you to notice first the opening line that Moses uses, hear, O Israel. When Moses says, hear, O Israel, he's not just saying, hear the words that I'm saying to you. He's not just saying, like, listen to, let the sound waves enter your ears. What Moses is saying here, our word here in the English language translated into, into, into Hebrew, it's the word Shema. And the word Shema means to allow these words to sink into your spirit and into your heart, to provide you with understanding that ultimately leads you to, to, to action. Let it, let it generate a response. And so in Hebrew, hearing and doing are the same thing. And then Moses, what he says next, he says, love the Lord your God. And love in Jewish culture, it's not the same warm, fuzzy, emotional feeling that we've made it in American culture. Love, like listening, it, it, it means it, it requires action. You love someone whenever you act faithfully and loyally on their behalf. It's all about what you do. It's all about how you respond. It's all, it's, it's, all about, it's all about action. 
And then we're not just to love God. We are to love God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our strength, which means that every aspect of our lives is meant to be centered on or around God. He desires all of you. You've probably heard the phrase, all things in moderation, right? All things in moderation. Listen, that is really good advice when it comes to fried chicken and ice cream late at night. I mean, you, you, you can't walk into Krispy Kreme later on the day and just lay on the conveyor and turn on the glaze. I mean, you can't do that. That's not healthy. I recommend moderation. But when it comes to our relationship with God, when it comes to our love for God, God does not desire moderation. He desires all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your strength, which means that there is no part of your life that is to be lived apart from God. That means that where you go, what you do, what you say, what you listen to, what you watch, it is all meant to reflect and glorify and bring honor to God. He desires all of you. He desires all of you. And listen, God's love for you, it is filled with grace and it is filled with mercy. But God's love for you, it is also a fierce love and he is not content with a half-hearted commitment. It's all of you. It's not just what we say. It's not just what we talk about, but it's also reflected in what we do. And, and honestly, this is where so many of us fall short. This is, this is my greatest struggle. Making sure that the things that I say are also aligned with the things that I'm doing. And recently I heard a sermon from another pastor. He was preaching on this same topic and he highlighted three errors that we often make when it comes to raising our children. And these errors that we make, they, they have significant implications uh, towards our ability or inability to impress faith and instill faith within the lives of our children. And the first error that he, that he highlighted that we make oftentimes when we raise our kids is that we, we risk too little. We often, we risk too little. So much of parenting today, it is, it's all about risk avoidance and pain avoidance. I don't want my kids to be in danger. I want them to be safe and I don't want them to hurt. I don't want them to feel pain. I don't want them, I want to keep them safe. And, and listen, and I'm not saying that safety should not be a priority for us as parents and for in your families. But, but what I will say is that the things that I allow my kids to do pale in comparison to the things that my parents let me do. I mean, when it comes to my daughter, I will barely let my daughter walk across the street in our neighborhood without me being with her, without me holding her hand, without making her wear a helmet, and I'm stopping traffic like I'm a crossing guard. I mean, I got the vest and the handheld stop sign, just, just making sure she's good. But when I was growing up, when I was growing up, it was, we had two rules. That was it. Uh, number one, get out of the house. And then number two, just be back before dark. Those were the two rules. And there were no cell phones. There was no Life 360. And so a lot of the times from the time I left the house until the time I came home, my mom and dad had no idea where I was or what I was doing. They had no idea that I was in the woods out behind the house on the Honda Big Red three-wheeler. Come on, somebody. You know what I'm talking about. With a machete and a hatchet at 12 years old, cutting down trees that were not on our property so that me and my friends could build a fort. They had no clue. Listen, I remember growing up riding down the road in the bed of my dad's truck, like standing up, truck bed surfing, while my dad drove. And then where are my, where, where my kids from the 80s at? Where are my kids from the 80s? Who needed a seatbelt as long as you were sitting next to your mama? You go around the curve or you hit the brakes, mama's arm was all you needed. She had you locked in place. You weren't going anywhere. Nowhere. Seatbelt didn't love you like mama loved you. Now listen, now listen, I'm not saying we go back to that at all. 
I mean, by all means, protect your kids, you know, look both ways before you cross the street, wear a helmet, wear your seatbelt, stop, drop, and roll, all the things. But what I am saying is that oftentimes in an effort to protect our kids, we prevent them from taking risks that they are meant to take as they grow up so that they can learn the lessons that they need to learn that prepare them for the things that life is going to bring to them later on. We risk too little. Another error that we often make is that we rescue too quickly. We rescue too quickly. And every single parent in the room, you know what this is about. We all know what it's like to swoop in at the last minute to save the day for our kid the moment we recognize there's any kind of potential for failure. I mean, I've done this. Each one of my kids has turned in the most amazing second grade shoebox habitat you have ever seen. I mean, my, my Aiden, he turned in a wolf habitat. And Silas, it was a coral reef habitat. In London, she turned in a lion habitat, and they were amazing. You want to know why they were amazing? It's because all of my kids told us about the project the night before it was due, which meant I had to go to Walmart, buy all the supplies. And when I came home, I didn't help them do it. I essentially did it for them until 1 o'clock in the morning because their precious selves had to get a full night's sleep so they got a good day the next day. And I did all of this so that I could save my kids from feeling the weight of a zero on a second grade project, if that's even a real thing. I mean, and most of you would say that just makes me a good dad and nobody was really hurt in all of that. And that may be the case in that particular situation. But if I consistently do that for my kids all throughout their life, at every stage of life, I am preventing them from feeling the weight of the consequences of their decisions. And consequences oftentimes are life's greatest teachers. And we have to learn to let go as parents, beginning at an early age, as our kids grow up and as they mature, when it comes to the situations that are appropriate for every stage of life so that they can fully develop into the people that ultimately that God's calling them to be. We, we, we rescue too quickly. The book of Proverbs, it says in chapter, in chapter 22, verse 6, it says that, that we are to train up a child in the way he should go, and even when he is old, he will not depart from it. And to train doesn't just mean that you, that you talk to your kids. It just doesn't mean that you teach your kids or, or you instruct your kids. To train, to train, the actual definition of train is to make fit or qualify through discipline or drill. My favorite definition is this, is to train is to direct the growth of someone or something by bending or pruning. What this means is that whenever we embrace the definition of train and truly what it means, it means that throughout life we are at times called to embrace hard, embrace hard things and difficult things so that we can be made ready for the things that life is going to bring us. And we have to allow our kids to do the same things so that they can be made ready for the things that life is going to bring them. And whenever you allow your, your children to take risk and embrace, embrace hard things, it will prepare them for the hard things that are going to come later on in life and it will give them the confidence to know that they can overcome them when they do come. We risk too little, we rescue too quickly and then the last error that we often make when it comes to raising our children and this is the most important one, parents, this is all on us, is we reinforce too weakly. We reinforce too weakly. If you want the truth of God's word, what you teach your kids, what you instruct your kids, what you tell your kids, if you want it to take root in their heart and in their lives and establish faith within them, what we, what we say has to be reinforced by what they see us do. 
The quickest way to drive a wedge between your kids and the faith that you ultimately want to establish within their lives is for you to say one thing and then them watch you do something completely opposed to what you just said. And that's because, that's because children don't just become what you say. They, more, they most often become what they see. They most often become what they see. Parents, if you don't serve, why would you expect your kids to serve? If, if you don't pray, why would you ever expect your children to value prayer? If you don't tithe, why would you ever expect your children to tithe or to trust God with their finances? If you, if you hold grudges and let bitterness take root in your heart and you never forgive, why would you expect your children to, to forgive? Or why would you ever expect them to understand what it means to receive forgiveness? It's... We have to make sure that what we say is also reinforced through what we do because what we do speaks so much louder and it communicates so much more. Jesus, quoting the prophet Isaiah in Mark chapter 7, verse 6, he says this. He says that Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Jesus called them hypocrites. He's calling out the religious leaders of the day saying, you say one thing, but then you do something completely different. And this brings us back to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 7, where where Moses says, Impress them upon your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Our love for God is meant to affect what we do and how we live. Our actions are what bring life to our words so that we can impress God's truth on our children, so that the, the truth of God's word can be imprinted on their heart and so that they can understand fully what it looks like to live a life completely surrendered to God, making, them, making themselves open to receiving the full blessing of everything that God has for them. Faith does not come automatically, and that's what Moses, in verse 8, he says this. He says, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. What does Moses mean when he says this? I think we would all agree that the thoughts of our mind, they guide, the, they, they guide our actions. And most everything that we do, we, we do them with our hands. And so with this language, Moses is saying, hear the word of God. Let it sink in. Let it generate a response and love God in such a way that it guides the thoughts of your mind and ultimately which guides the work of your hands so that through what you do, so that through what you do, the truth of God's word and the truth of who he is and who he's calling you to be can be impressed and imprinted upon the hearts of your children so that faith can be established and instilled within their life and a legacy can begin that will last for generations. We impress these truths on our children. And so if we, if we make these errors, if we, if we risk too little, we rescue too quickly, we, we reinforce too weakly, how, how do we get it right? How, how, how do we get better at this? I, I want to share two thoughts with you. Uh, both thoughts come from what sociologists call the law of exposure. And, and we ultimately, we really all honestly know what the law of exposure. It just simply says that who and what you expose your children to will shape who they become and what they believe. This is the law of exposure. And if we're really going to break it down, this is really just the you show me your friends and I'll show you your future concept. This is what this is. This is what this is. Show me your friends and I'll show you your future. 
And so when it comes to, when it comes to imp- like impressing faith and instilling faith within it, what is it that we need to expose them to most so that we can see faith established in their lives? Well, the first, the first thing, and first and foremost, is we have to expose them to the joy of truly knowing God. We expose them to the joy of truly knowing God. In John chapter 17, verse 3, we, we see Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's praying. This is the night that he's arrested. It's the night before he's crucified. And, and in verse 3, he says this. this is, he says, now this is eternal life, that, what they, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. And we hear this, and we, we hear eternal life, and, and we automatically think, well, go to heaven when you die. And whenever you place your faith in Jesus, there is a heaven and people do go there. But did you know that when Jesus mentions eternal life, he never associates it with go to heaven when you die? Jesus defines eternal life in a completely different way than than, than we do most oftentimes. And our word for know in the Greek language is the word yonosko. In the word yonosko, it emphasizes a relationship that is meant to be experienced more so than information that is to be learned. And notice as John's writing it, he writes this, he writes this verb to know, he writes it in the present tense, which means that this relationship that Jesus is talking about with our heavenly father, it is current, it is alive, it is active, and is meant to be continually experienced every single day of our lives. To know God isn't just to know about him in our limited ability to understand or to, or to comprehend. It is meant to be a relationship to be experienced. And Jesus says, if Jesus says, if you would just place your faith in me, I want to introduce you to so that you can know and have a relationship with your heavenly father who is God eternal. And because he is eternal, when you have a relationship with him, it ultimately brings you life eternal. And the blessings and the favor and the purpose and the meaning that can come from a relationship with God, it is everlasting. It's a relationship that's meant to be experienced. It's a relationship that's meant to be experienced. And this is what you and I, we have to model for our children. We have to model for our children what it looks like to have a relationship with God that goes beyond what we can know and understand and comprehend with our mind. And and what they have to see is they have to see that we are living a relationship where we are spending time getting to know God, worshiping God, spending time in his word, where we are spending time in prayer. It's through what they see us do. My children will value prayer, not because I told them to pray one time, one day over dinner, but because they see their dad pray and they hear the words that I pray. They hear me go before the Lord and beg for him to move on our behalf. They see me spending time in God's word, allowing it to reshape my mind, which will ultimately transform my life. And they see me live a life that's not perfect, that's full of mistakes, but they see me living a life, trying my level best to live a life that honors God in every facet of my life. It's through what they see you do. We expose our children to what it means to truly know God. And then next, we also have to expose our children to environments where they can experience the, po- the presence and the power of God. And, and I mean, and you're, you're doing that today. You're here at church on a Sunday 
gathered together with other believers, lifting up the name of Jesus. We're being taught from his word. Your kids are in Creek Kids where they're surrounded by people who, who love God or teaching them to love God. And they're, they're kind of exposed to the things of God and they're teaching them how to love God and how to model that for them, you know, as they go into their schools, as they go into their homes and all that. That's incredible. That's incredible. But the environments that we expose ourselves and our children to, it cannot be relegated to Sunday attendance. It cannot be relegated to a one-hour worship service every single week. There is so much more that we have an opportunity to expose ourselves and our kids to. You're here on a Sunday, and that's great. And by all means, come back next week and every Sunday after that. But are you in a small group? Are you in a small group? Are you meeting together with other believers outside of church on Sunday so that you can grow in your faith, so that you can be challenged to grow in your faith, so that you have other people in your life that can hold you accountable to making sure that you do the things that you said you want to do? I have a small group of men that I gather with, Pastor JT and I. We have a small group of men that we meet with every Tuesday morning. And we always say this, that iron sharpens iron. It's my relationship with other men who are trying their best to follow Jesus that help make me a better pastor, a better leader, a better husband, a better father, a better friend. Are you in a small group that's helping you do that? And if you're not, I'm just gonna, you, just, you just need to be. You need to be. And then, are, are you serving? Every single person in this room is uniquely gifted and called by God. There are things that you have the ability to do that no one else has the ability to do. Are you using your gifts and your talents and the unique way that God has called you and gifted you to serve, to serve him through serving other people? And are you modeling for your family what it looks like to serve the needs of other people rather than just be self-serving? Are you serving? Middle school and high school students, parents, this is on you. Are they here on Wednesday nights? Are they here on Wednesday nights where they can be surrounded by leaders who are pouring God's truth into them, surrounded by other teenagers who are trying to live out their faith and grow in their faith? Are they here on a Wednesday night? Our students in middle school and high school, they meet at all three campuses uh, every single Wednesday night for worship and small groups and teaching and And then on the first Wednesday night of the month, they're all here at the Augusta campus for United Night, completely immersed in an environment that is focused on helping them grow in their relationship with God. Are they here? And then I had no idea whenever I was prepping this message, Pastor Drew, Pastor Ryan, I had no idea when I was prepping this message that today was going to be camp kickoff week. Look at God. Look at God. Won't he do it? And so here's the, I I would encourage you, if you haven't done it already, leave this auditorium whenever we're done. Not right now, when we're done. And go register your kids for camp. Elementary students, middle school students, high school students, go register them for camp. So that way they can go spend a week outside of their normal environment being surrounded by the things of God that will change their life in a way that nothing else can. And listen, not only do you get to send them to to the Legacy Retreat Center in Homer, Georgia for a week and they're out of your house, the cell phone signal there is terrible so they can't even call you. It's amazing. It's amazing. Like, enjoy that. It is worth the 339. Go sign your kids up for camp. And listen, and I know it's a lot. I know it's a lot to think about all the different things that that you could be a part of and that your kids could be a part of. You know, church on Sunday and small groups and serving and student ministry and camp. I know it's a lot. But let me just ask you this. What are the other things in your life that you've made non-negotiables? What are the other things in your life that you say yes to every single week without a second thought? And it's not an option. 
I mean, I mean, like tomorrow morning, and and every week, every day during the week, you're gonna you're gonna wake up, and you're gonna go into your kids' rooms, and you're gonna say, "Hey, it's time to get up, get up, get ready. You got to go to school." And I've got two teenage boys. I've heard all the excuses. I mean, I know that sometimes they look at you and go, "I don't feel good," and you know, and you just look at them and say, "Throw up and prove it." And if they can't throw up, they go to school. Or, or if they do throw up, you're like, now don't you feel better? Let's go to school. I mean, going to the dentist, going to the dentist is not an option. It's non-negotiable. And if it is, it shouldn't be. They need their teeth. Like take them to the dentist. But what, what, what about all the other activities and the sports that they want to be involved in? I want to play football. I want to play baseball. I want to play basketball and volleyball and softball and cheerleading and gymnastics and dance. I, I want to do all these things. And I pay for all of this, so you're going to go to practice. I've had that conversation. But when it comes to Wednesday night in student ministry at the church, as a former student pastor here at this church, I know this all too well, the tone often changes. And oftentimes it's not, it's Wednesday night, I'm taking you to student ministry. So much of the time it becomes, it's Wednesday night, do you want to go to student ministry? And we've made church, being involved in the things of church, we've made it an option. And we've made it negotiable. And listen, and I, as a former student pastor, I've, I've heard this before and I understand it. I really do. Well, we don't want to force it on them. We want it to be their decision. Church, parents, listen to me. It will never be their decision unless your decision first. Yeah, put your hands together for that. That's better preaching than you're responding. I know I just blew up your whole Wednesday night schedule. But I promise you, the things that are instilled within them during that time, it's well worth it. And usually the things that are the most difficult in this life are the things that end up being the most worth it. We risk too little. We need to learn to take more risk and... And allow our children to grow up a little bit. Allow them to, to embrace difficult things so that they can be. We have to have faith. This whole series is built on Hebrews eleven six. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. But did you know the way that I read that? I like to flip it on its head a little bit and I like to read it a little bit different way. And so that means that if, if it's impossible to please God without faith, that must, miss, that must mean that when I do have faith, all of a sudden impossible things are made possible through God working in and through me. So if you're facing difficult things within your family, within your children's lives that you feel like are, are beyond repair, cannot be restored, I'm here to tell you that impossible things are made possible when you apply faith and you integrate faith into your family and into raising your children. We risk too little. We need to take more risk. Let your children grow up. We rescue too quickly. We need to allow our kids to, to feel the weight of their consequences so that they can be prepared for the difficult things that are going to come later in life. And ultimately, parents, we have, to, we have to reinforce it, not through what we say, not through what we teach, not through what we instruct, but through what we do, through what our children see us do, see us model for them. I'm not just going to teach my children about faith. They are going to see me live it out. I'm not going to teach my children about prayer. They will see me and hear me pray. 
And whenever we do this, whenever we do this, we're, we're, we're exposing our children to what it means to, to truly know God and the joy of what comes through a relationship with God. Not a relationship that I learn about in my limited ability to comprehend, but, but a relationship, a personal relationship that I experience and that I'm living out day in and day out. And then ultimately, I'm going to work to have my kids and my family involved in, in all of the different things that I can expose them to in and around, in and through this church. So that they're, in an, they're in environments where they can experience the presence and the power of God that will ultimately it will ultimately reshape and change their life. Because listen, whenever we fail to do this, whenever you consistently prioritize something else over church and faith and you never prioritize church or faith over something else, you risk communicating to your family that church and faith are not a priority. And and, and we can do better. We have to embrace the words of Moses. Hear, O Israel, Hear, O Israel, let these words sink into your heart and into your spirit so that it provides you with an understanding and ultimately generates a response. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength. These commandments that I give you today, they're to be written on your heart. Impress them upon your children. See that they are imprinted upon the hearts of your children. And talk about him when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down and whenever you get up. And then write them on the doorpost and the gates of your home so that faith can be established. Faith can be instilled within them and so that a legacy of faith can begin today, a legacy that will last for days and weeks and months and years and for generations to come. Amen. Amen. Over the next few minutes, I want to pray for you. And I really just want to pray that God would help us to love him with all of our heart, soul, and strength. Loving him with all that we are so much so, much so that it affects how we live and what we do. It, it guides the thoughts of our mind and the work of our hands so that for our children, we can model, we can model what it looks like to live out faith. And ultimately, in order for us to accomplish all of this, first and foremost, if we want to see faith established within our children, it first has to be established within us. And if you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus, you've never placed your faith in him and asked him to forgive you of your sins, I want to to lead you in a prayer that will help you do that today so that faith can be established in you so that you can ultimately work to establish it in your family. And so as we begin to pray, as we pray today, would you, I just want to invite you to stand with me and join me as we pray. And with every head bowed, every eye closed. Heavenly Father, we love you so much. And we're so grateful for you. And we're so grateful for how you love us and for how you, you, you desire to bless us. And you want your children to experience the fullness of all that you have for them and you want want your favor to rest upon them. And today I pray, Father, that that you would help us to, to love you with all of our heart and with all of our soul and with all of our strength. Father, we pray that we would love you in a way 
So that it's not just our words that are affected. It's not just what we say that's affected. But Father, love you in a way so that what we do in the actions of our hands and the steps of our feet are in alignment with who you are, in alignment with what you say. That with every step that we take, we are stepping into your purpose, into your agenda and out of our own, into your desires and away from our own. And Father, we ultimately know that if we're going to see faith established within our homes, it first must be established in our lives. And so today, if you're here today with every head bowed, every eye closed, if you have never given your life to Jesus, you've never prayed to receive Jesus as your Savior so that you can have a relationship with your Heavenly Father. If that's you today, I just simply want to lead you in a prayer. And you can just pray this prayer along with me. Just pray this prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me. Thank you for sending your son Jesus to die for me. I place my faith in Jesus today. Forgive me of my sins. Let the old life be gone. And let a new life come. Be the Lord of my life from this moment forward. Thank you for saving me. Now, if you're here today and you just prayed that prayer with me for the first time, uh, would, you, I just, would, you just be, would you let me know by raising your hand? Would you ra- if you just prayed that prayer, would you raise your hand and let me know? Yeah. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. You can put your hands down. Heavenly Father, we love you so much today, and we're so grateful for who you are. We're so grateful for the faith that you are establishing in the lives of people so that faith can be established within the home. And Father, we pray that you would help us to love you with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our strength. And Father, today, God, we build our lives upon you. God, help us to build our lives upon you, building our lives and our families upon the foundation of your truth, knowing that you will not fail, you will not fall. And God, knowing that today, God, as we initiate faith and we begin in faith and we place our faith in you and we work to establish faith in our homes that will last for generations to come so that if we see faith established in our families and in our children, Father, whenever they are old, whenever they are grown, they can still declare that the Lord is my God, he is my rock, and there is no unrighteousness in him. They will be planted in the house of God where they are growing, flourishing, and staying, depending on God for everything that they have and all that they are. God, we thank you so much for what you're doing in our lives what you're doing in and through this church. We pray all of these things. We believe all of these things in the strong name of Jesus and everybody in the room said, amen and amen. Thanks for listening. If you would like to help support the ministries of Stevens Creek Church, please go to stevenscreekchurch.com and click the give button. See you next time.